Here's the difference between Democrats and, and MAGA Republicans. When a Democrat says something racist or anti-Semitic, we would we we hold them, we hold Democrats accountable. When a MAGA Republican says something uh, racist and or anti-Semitic, they are embraced by cheering crowds and become celebrated and sought after endorsements. When a Democrat says something racist or anti-Semitic, we would we we hold them we hold democrats accountable when a maga republican says something uh, racist and or anti-semitic they are embraced by cheering crowds and become celebrated and sought after endorsements senator tuberville let's not forget this just happened uh, saying black people uh, commit crimes dog mastriano attacking his opponent in Pennsylvania governor's race for sending his children to a Jewish day school. The president used to say, and, and I quote the president right now. And as you mentioned, he has made crime a central issue of his campaign. He says what happened yesterday outside of his Long Island home literally brought the problem to his doorstep. A little after two in the afternoon, while he and his wife were campaigning, his twin 16-year-old daughters were home alone when gunshots rang out. He says one of the bullets landed 30 feet from where the girls were sitting in the kitchen doing homework. They hid in the bathroom and called 911. Outside the front door, two 17-year-olds were wounded and treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Police say it was a drive-by shooting and that the two victims tried to hide in the congressman's front yard. A third person was not struck. The shooter still being sought. Police believe Zeldin and his family had no connection to the shooting other than the fact the random location was perilously close to where they lived. Congressman, Congressman Zeldin says his family could have become victims and is repeating his call to stop New York's crime wave. Unfortunately for New Yorkers, this wasn't the only story yesterday. I mean, you're also reading about somebody else who got stabbed on a New York City subway, somebody else who got slashed in the East Village. I mean, this is day after day after day, and there are a lot of parents, there are a lot of families dealing with this reality of rising crime. Terry, 30 days to the midterms, less than a month ago, the Democrats were feeling pretty hopeful about their chances. Do you still get that sense? Nope, I think the air went out of that balloon, in, in part because, look, the economy is so tough for so many people. Food prices, rent spiking. If they've got retirement funds, those are evaporating. And even the issue of abortion, which did drive several special elections and that remarkable referendum result in Kansas, uh, while there are millions of people for whom that will be the number one issue, I just think the economic headwinds are so tough. Uh, and, and Biden is... He just doesn't have the oomph as a candidate anymore. People don't really want him around, and he can't really make his case that, that I, I don't think the Democrats are in any better place. And I would also say, in this country and in other countries, polls are broken, right? It is clear that lots of people on the right 
just don't answer anymore. They were worse in 2020 than they were in 2016. And so you look at those polls, it's close. If it's close, it's a Republican. To talk about. So President Biden made some stunning comments at this New York fundraiser about the potential for Armageddon. Um, but take a listen to three of the highest ranking U.S. officials earlier as their views about Russia using a nuclear weapon. I don't see anything right now that, that would lead me to believe that he has made such a decision. We do not presently see indications about the imminent use of nuclear weapons. We are looking very carefully to see if Russia is actually doing anything that um, suggests that uh, they are um, contemplating the use of nuclear weapons. To date, we've not seen them take uh, these actions. So what's President Biden talking about? Do you see Armageddon as a real possibility? Well, I think the president is right to raise the risk of nuclear conflict because Vladimir Putin is increasingly getting pushed into a corner. This war is going incredibly badly for him. The mobilization that he has undertaken has backfired. This morning you see scenes of hundreds of Russian troops essentially refusing to go into training into the front. So, you know, this is a dangerous man, and the United States has to be ready for Putin to use a tactical nuclear weapon. I agree. Um, I don't think there's any sign that he is going to do that imminently. And it's important for us to send signals about what the consequences would be should he make that choice. But I, I think Joe Biden is right to just, you know, get this country ready for the fact that you are dealing with an incredibly dangerous human being in Russia. The war is going badly and you just can't predict what he's going to do next. Somebody I know who has uh, ties to the Ukrainian government uh, expressed concern to me that President Biden might be playing into Putin's hands by escalating the rhetoric. Uh, perhaps those European allies who are already a little bit wobbly when it comes to standing up against Putin might go wobblier if they think, oh God, if we keep going down this path, we're going to have a nuclear war. Well, this war can end um, if Vladimir Putin decides to get his troops uh, and personnel out of Ukraine. Uh, he made the decision to invade a sovereign neighboring country and the blood Today and tomorrow is on his hands. Now, I think the president has made the right call to be very clear with Putin about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. We're not putting U.S. troops in Ukraine. We have been careful about transferring weapons to Ukraine that they could use to make attacks inside Russia. I think as long as we communicate the lines that we are not willing to cross, then the danger for escalation lessens. But I don't want to get into a world in which we start blaming ourselves for escalation. This is Putin's war, and it's his decision as to whether it ends. Let's turn to a major decision by Oprah. And also, you speak of the positives of the booster shot. Uh, there's a study out talking about women, women in their menstrual cycles, how vaccines, the COVID vaccines have impacted them. Can you speak to that as well? Yeah. So on that study, it affected for the first cycle, uh, affected the menstrual cycle by one day. Um, and then and then women's menstrual, menstrual cycles returned back to normal. So there was a lot of, and that was has been the most definitive study suggesting there are no significant long-term impacts uh, on the health of women or, or uh, their reproductive health. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 12th of October, year of our Lord, 2022, episode 631. I just love that intro. That girl is such a bad, such a bad press secretary. It's horrible. Um, we had some truth. We had some crime. We had Tapper trying to make Republicans look bad. And the most important soundbite there was that April fucking Ryan, Miss... China virus. Asking the questions that we've been asking for three years that these shots actually affect women's menstrual cycles. 
Huh. It's very interesting. But what's more interesting are the two sound bites that I usually would play at the end of the show, but I'm going to play them now. I'm going to play the diversity bullshit out of the Secretary of the Army, and then I'm going to play a lead-in on a story that if the roles were reversed and this woman was a Democrat, a black Democrat, cold day in hell, the left would let it ride. In terms of, you know, soldiers coming from um, marginalized communities or, you know, demographics that are not widely represented in the Army, that's part of why we've got to emphasize positive command climates and inclusion. You know, we get criticized, frankly, sometimes for being woke. I'm not sure what woke means. I think woke means a lot of different things to different people. Um, but. First of all, I would say if, if woke means, you know, we are not focused on war fighting, we are not focused on readiness, that doesn't reflect what I see at installations all around the country or overseas when I go and visit. But I think, you know, we do have a wide range of soldiers in our army, and we've got to make them all feel included. And that's why a lot of our diversity, equity, and inclusion programs are important. But Brittany, I want you to hear what Eddie Glaude said earlier on this network. Take a listen. They have to create, find a, Manchur, a black Manchurian candidate like, like Herschel Walker, a walking stereotype who will do their bidding. I mean, damn, when are we going to finally, finally leave this behind and try to be an actual American, a democracy? Here's the thing, you have Republicans, Tom Cotton, Rick Scott campaigning for Walker tomorrow. So are they just okay with this? Of course they are. Uh, you know, look, we can't let Kanye West off the hook. He's also participating in this kind of, uh, you know, stereotype of blackmail, uh, you know, being a blackmail supplicant to white power in the same way that Herschel Walker is. This is who they need black men to be. As I said, you know, last week on Twitter, um, this is the kind of blackness that works for the Republican Party, one that is deeply anti-black in its own way. Uh, and so the here, I mean, I think we have to tell the truth, Alicia. These folks don't want democracy. What they want is white rule. What they want is white power. Unfortunately, because of how we understand the history in this country, for a very long time, folks were able to have white power and call that democracy while it was actively excluding black folks, indigenous folks, Latino folk, Asian folk from the body politic. Now, because we have tools at our disposal, we are able to say, hey, we are here. We are part of we the people. You can't have a real democracy unless you include us. And I think the thing that is, if we want to be vulnerable, heartbreaking to many of us is that when confronted with that truth in the aftermath of a civil war, World War II, which was fought in part with um, solidarity with Jewish folks, right, being being decimated by Hitler. The fact that we know those things about our history and that these folks are still willing to say our money's on white power as the solution for the future of America, when mm. we know that we have devastating consequences, is really hard to stomach if you are a person of color, because these folks are saying, we actually want the future to not include you at best, and you know, at worst, and at best, if it does include you, we want you to be clearly, legally, and in practice. So basically what happened, this guy is having a hard time winning. I mean, we can't have that. So Adam Wen, a reporter for Politico, after uh, Marvin, who is this guy? Frank L. Marvin, 
obtained her military records and they wanted to do a smear campaign on her. What they find out is she was a victim of sexual assault and a proud service member in here. Meet the black Republican woman who could give her party their first chance to control this Indiana district in nearly 100 years. Everybody said, you're complete and utter asshole. Her name is Jennifer Ruth Green. Press release statement on Representative Arvin and allies illegally obtaining Green's military records, Politico outing sexual assault. Her reply, candidate for Congress released statements responding to Rep. Marvin and his cronies illegally obtaining Green's military records, attempted to smear her military career and working with Politico to out her as a victim of a sexual assault while serving in Iraq. I'm a survivor of sexual trauma in the military. I'm being forced to share this information outside of my own timeline and for the first time publicly because my congressman, Mark Marvin, and his cronies illegally obtained my records. His team fished the details of my assault to different news outlets, asking them to share misinformation to portray me as a failed military officer who lacks integrity. This is false. I believe after sharing my assault against the advice of some of my command, my paperwork was intentionally derailed. The paperwork Congressman Marvin illegally obtained contains information that reflects me in a negative light. I have since appealed the incident with the military. Entire issue is settled. Clearly, I progressed as a military member. She was a lieutenant fucking colonel. I have written to the U.S. Attorney, the Air Force Inspector General, and the Department of Defense asking them to launch criminal probe on how the fuck they got my confidential file. I'm sad to have to share publicly one of the most private events of my life, and I'm even more sad that Representative Marvin, who I applauded for authoring the military sexual trauma bill, would engage in or tolerate this behavior. It's unacceptable for every vet, it's unacceptable for every woman, and it's unacceptable for anyone who has been a victim of sexual assault. However, God, my family, blah, 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 as a servant, as a leader, I take the words of my responsibility blah blah fucking blah you gotta fucking believe that that's how low the media is because they know she's checking blocks and this goes back to that thing we always talk about if you're black if you're female if you're gay if you're tranny and you're an r it makes you a douche nozzle she's everything the left talks about but she's got an r next to her name and if this incident had happened to a Democrat, end of days, folks. End of fucking days. FBI official who briefed Facebook on Hunter Biden's story, dim donor. FBI team involved in censorship of Hunter Biden's laptop story identified they're all Democratic-leaning people. So th- there's that. That that's that's fucking fantastic. That's just fucking fantastic. It's just fucking fantastic. When you think it could get worse, it doesn't. Here's a little stats I wanted to cover. Number one, that is a mother teaching her daughter how to flip off people because she's pro-life. So we've gone through all the left can throw at it. And right now it looks like a 10-point swing in favor of GOP. So it's not going to be a red way, but they're most likely going to take the House. The other thing, because it's getting so dire, all of a sudden J6 is not going to come out till after the election. So they're saving it for 2024. That's my guess. Um, David Frum twists himself into dirt pretzel and thread, blaming Trump for nuclear threat. I don't have slides for this. 
but I'm going to read it. The sure way to avoid nuclear war is for Russia not to start one. If they don't do it, nobody else will. Likewise, the sure way to end the invasion of Ukraine is for Russia to withdraw, blah, 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 blah. When you hear talk of alleged danger of humiliating the Putin, it's more often a talker who is ouch, ouching from the humiliation of his or her past cheerleading for Putin. They hope that it's Western democracy, a successful defense, da, 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 firing nuclear weapons. Where is it? Putin's Western friends. When in the war and many of the, uh, okay, whatever. I didn't see Trump in there, so that's a, that's a fucking bad article. I did see this turd, and, and I really want to play this because it's very surprising that NBC, who is about as woke as you could get, played this. But this this race between Oz and Fetterman, uh, my God, it's Biden and Trump. You just got douchebag one and douchebag two, but this motherfucker isn't well. I know it doesn't matter because look at the president. They, they don't care. Dems just don't care. But this interview, my God, if it was a Republican, there'd be screams that he not run. Another pivotal Senate race in Pennsylvania, now considered a toss-up. Our Dasha Burns spoke with Democrat John Fetterman in his first in-person sit-down interview since he suffered a stroke. And Dasha, this was not a typical candidate interview. No, Lester, because of his stroke, Fetterman's campaign required closed captioning technology for this interview to essentially read our questions as we ask them. And Lester, in small talk before the interview without captioning, it wasn't clear he was understanding our conversation. Can voters trust that you will be able to do this job on day one? Yeah, of of course. This is Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman's first in-person sit-down interview since a stroke sidelined him from the campaign trail for months. That auditory processing where I'll I'll hear someone speaking, but sometimes I'll be able to be uh, precise on what exactly that they're saying. I use captioning. His campaign required that he be allowed to use a transcription program on his computer during our interview. I always thought I was pretty empathetic, uh, uh, emphatic. Uh, I think I was very, excuse me, empathetic. Uh, you know, that's an example of the stroke, empathetic. Yeah. I, I always thought I was very empathetic uh, before having a stroke. But now after having that stroke, I really understand, you know, much more kind of the challenges that Americans have day in and day out. So you say you're on the road to full recovery. But right now, voters really have to take your word for it. We've asked for your medical records. We've asked to have a conversation with someone from your medical team to interview your physician. You've declined those requests. Why? Well, I I feel like we have been very transparent in a lot of different ways. When our doctor has already given a letter saying that I'm able to serve and to to be uh, running. I mean, respectfully, that letter from your physician, that was six months ago. Don't voters deserve to know your status now? Being on in front of thousands and thousands of, of people and having interviews and getting around all across Pennsylvania, that gives everybody and the voters decide, you know, if they think that it's it's really the issue. Polls show Fetterman's lead is shrinking against Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz. It's now a toss-up race that could determine control of the Senate. Republicans focusing on crime. In particular, Fetterman's votes on the parole board. Fetterman says he's trying to get as many criminals out of prison as he can. Including votes in favor of paroling convicted murderers. Are you soft on crime? Uh, Of course not. I'm actually effective on crime. And I believe in second chances. 
uh, and I've run on that record. Meanwhile, Fetterman going after Dr. Oz on abortion rights. Dr. Oz likes to make fun of me that I might miss a word, but you know he's missed you know two words, and that is a yes or no on the national abortion uh, ban. If you're going to be our next senator, you have to give the answer. Lester Fetterman told us he is committed to debating Dr. Oz on October 25th, where he will also be using closed captioning. Uh, we had a monitor set up so that he could read my questions because he still has lingering auditory processing issues as a result of the stroke, which means he has a hard time understanding what he's hearing. Now, once he reads the question, he's able to understand. You'll hear he also still has some uh, problems, some challenges with speech. And I'll say, Katie, that just in some of the small talk prior to uh, the interview before the closed captioning was up and running, it did seem that uh, he had a hard time understanding our, our conversations. Thanks for having me. So I want to ask you about the political drama that is unfolding in Georgia. I was just talking about it with Congressman Bacon. And I want to ask you about the response from the Democratic incumbent, Raphael Warnock, who has decided not to directly attack Herschel Walker to address really these claims repeatedly on the campaign trail. Given the high stakes of Georgia, is that a mistake, Congresswoman? I don't know. I mean, I think what Mr. Walker is doing himself is enough for voters to see, right? He's being accused of something. He's not admitting it or he's dodging. Um, people are saying that he, you know, people make mistakes, but he's not admitting that mistake. I, I think just I, I understand the instinct to just let him stand in the spotlight and answer for his own record and not take that as a moment to just kind of double down on the attack. Okay, well, abortion is obviously an issue that you care a lot about. You have talked quite a bit about it, and abortion is actually on the ballot in your state. In fact, the ballot proposal would enshrine a right to an abortion. And opponents argue the problem with it is that it's too wide-ranging, that there are no limits on third-trimester abortion. So let me put this question to you directly, Congresswoman. Would you like to see limits on third-trimester abortions? Yeah, I mean, the, the ballot initiative that we have says that you can have the right to an abortion up to the point of viability. And then afterwards, it has to be because of the health of the mother deemed by a medical professional. So it's not abortion on demand. It's not through the ninth month. All these talking points that the Republicans are using because they know they're on their heels on this issue. So I support that ballot initiative. I think it's written correctly and it codifies Roe in a state where without that, we're facing a 1931 ban. But again, just on that issue, of third trimester abortions, should there be restrictions to that? Yes, I, I agree with the proposal, which says up to viability, you have the right to make that decision on your own, but afterwards you need the input of a medical professional. I think that's the right place for our state and frankly, I think for the country. You have prided yourself on being a moderate Democrat and I wonder if you think there is room within the conversation around abortion for Democrats who are anti-abortion like John Bell Edwards or Representative Henry Cuellar. Yes. I mean, I think for me, I represent a district um, that's Republican leaning. The vast majority of my constituents identify as pro-life. And I've been at plenty of events as recently as yesterday where people will say, look, I'm a pro-life Democrat. Um, but I think the distinction is that they're not trying to impose their will on this issue 
on other people, on other women, right? They have a personal conviction that they feel very firmly about, and I respect that, but they're not trying to say that their will has to be imposed on the rest of all women, and I think that's, they, they have a place in this party, but I think they also will say very openly they don't believe the government should make that decision for women. Let's talk about one of the top issues for voters in races all across this country right now, Congresswoman. Of course, that is the economy. Republicans, including your opponent, have accused you and Democrats of overspending, whether we're talking about the COVID relief bill or the latest Inflation Reduction Act. What do you say to that criticism that Democrats have actually made inflation worse by overspending? Well, first of all, I think we can't dance away from the fact that inflation is a real issue that's affecting every single person in this country. I don't know one family that isn't making different decisions because of how bad inflation is. Um, and we don't get, win any points by trying to pretend it's not there. It's there. Um, I think for, for me, there's almost like a gleefulness about some Republicans, including my opponent, about how bad inflation is. There's a gleefulness when prices of gas but are going I guess up. I'm and asking, I think that's do Democrats leader, bear some of the, the responsibility? Right but do Democrats bear some of the responsibility. You control the White House, both chambers of Congress. Why shouldn't voters hold Democrats responsible for the economy? I, I, I think they do. I think while I think inflation is obviously a worldwide phenomenon, I am open to the fact that we have to make decisions here in the United States. Democrats are in power. We're in the White House, in the House, and the Senate, even if it's slim margins. So sure, I do think that there is a, a rightful skepticism about particularly the last COVID package. And I think that's why you've seen a lot of us in Congress really shy away from another COVID mm. package, even when the White House was proposing one this past summer. So I, I, I own it, um, but I think it it has to be reflected, you know, across the world that it's going It's a post-COVID phenomenon that we're trying to deal with the best we can. Let's talk about student loan debt. Are you comfortable with President Biden's plan to forgive student loan debt, even though it's likely going to add $400 billion to the debt? I did not support the proposal that the president put forward or the, the action that the president took forward. It's not that I don't understand that we have a crisis of college affordability. I represent Michigan State and uh, five universities and colleges, but I thought it was a Band-Aid that didn't get to the underlying problem. I was vocal about that. Um, I, I, I want to get to a better place on college affordability, but a one-off like this that doesn't help like a current freshman at Michigan State University, yeah. to me, is not, um, it's not the way I would have gone. Congresswoman, given what we saw from OPEC, this week, the decision to cut 2 million barrels of oil per day. Do you believe that President Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia, that fist bump diplomacy, do you think that was a mistake? You know, you have to try. I, I appreciate his willingness to try, and there's nothing more important right now to inflation than the price of gas. Um, so you have to do it. But I think the Saudis have made a really strategic error. And I, I can't say whether, you know, the, the Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, overpromised to the president, or if he just um, absolutely threw that promise out the window. Um, either way, the Saudis are going to be living with this decision for a long time, right? We've been partners for 70 years. They had a strategic decision to make about whether to help the world economy and put more oil in there or to cut it back. Yep. At best, they made a decision that didn't help the rest of the world. At worst, they aligned themselves with Putin. Congressman, so we have a problem. Congresswoman, let me ask you a little bit about politics. You have said that Democrats will support President Biden if he runs again in 2024. But I want to ask you personally, do you plan to support President Biden if he runs again in 2024? 
he's the sitting president. If he decides to run again, I'm going to support him. The party's going to support him. That's, you know, that is a, has a long history in our country. But I have been very vocal, including with my own leadership in the House, that we need a new generation. We need new blood, period, across the Democratic mm. Party, in the House, the Senate, and the White House. I, I, I think that the country has been saying that. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of just a handful of members of Congress who, who hasn't voted for Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. Um, and I've said, I think we need new leaders. I would love to see some Midwestern leaders in there, right? That's been important to me is to reflect the middle of the country. We're here too. Um, and, uh, but I do think new blood is a good thing. But if the sitting president of the United States... He's not well, man. He shouldn't be running for office. It's really, really kind of sad. It's once again, they just got to have somebody so he's better. This is interesting from a bakery too. And if you're listening, I apologize, but it's really, really amazing. They are showing inflation what it's done flour 12 19 28 sugar 25 26 34 um you see the evolution of price i mean donut fry shortening 88 used to be 42 it's twice what it was almost everything is a 50 percent increase or a 100 percent increase which is not good not good at all this is pretty funny shit too if we remember that Biden said, I got two words for you, made in America. Well, Lauren Boebert did it, and these are all the lefties, and this, this could have gone forever. Um, this is like 20 of them who literally said, oh, you didn't, you said two words, but she was being a smart ass. But you can see how the Twitter world's just really, really bad. It's just really bad. People have, it's just an RRD and that's all they care. Post Washington Post fact checker Stacey Abrams offers rhetorical twist on election denialism, which is the same way of just saying it's okay. To the Nordic pipeline, U.S. Navy jet flew across Baltic hours after the pipeline burst. So I'm just going to leave that there. Since now, every time you talk about things, you are a Putin puppet. This one just fucking pissed me off. They're that desperate. Colorado handed 30,000 postcards reminding illegals to vote. Illegals. And once again, they say, oh, that's not how it works. Yeah, it does. You guys give them driver's license and it's motor voter and they vote. You know they're voting. We all know they're voting in California. The numbers are too fucking high. Too fucking high. Then another one that I just thought was really kind of cool. Columbus Day is more impo- more popular than these two douche butt nozzles, which I think is pretty apropos considering uh, they want to do Indigenous People Day. Whatever the fuck that is. I, I don't know. I just don't know. Um, okay, so let's do a couple of my favorite sound bites from the week. First one, uh, because they're desperate... We have Mehdi Hassan bringing up civil wars. The problem I have is when I talk to members of Congress and senators on the show, they say, yes, it's really bad. Democracy is under threat. And also prescription drug prices. And also this. And also that. And it's like, it's not one of many issues. It is the issue. That it's existential. And I wish more of them would say that. Charlie, if the election deniers on the right win in 2022, in November, next month, to me... Democracy looks like it's over in America. Fascism is here to stay. And if they lose, 
we get maybe another insurrection, domestic terrorism, a civil war, God forbid. I mean, is there any scope for optimism here? Well, that was pretty dark. I don't think they're capable of just looking at an... Uh, maybe I don't want to say it that way. I think that's the only way their base comes out. It has to save democracy. Save democracy. We must save democracy. It's so important. This election is the most important election ever. And if we don't do this election, we're going to be fucked up. We're just going to be totally fucked up. We can't have that. R, R, R. It's just get the fuck out of here. And then this one is very key right now. You know, these people hate Christianity. And this Herschel Walker thing and Warnock, they're both pieces of shit. But why wouldn't the media just frame it as a good Christian against a bad Christian? There's an interesting subtext, I think, to this race because uh, the New York Times reported about a private event for Walker just after this whole controversy started. And an evangelical pastor made comparisons, apparently, to God's protection of King David in the Bible, saying Walker would be protected in a similar way. And the Times called the Georgia Senate race an explicit matchup of two increasingly divergent versions of American Christianity. Walker, conservative Christianity and right-wing politics, while Ralph Warnock, who of course is a pastor, represents the Southern tradition of faith-based civil rights. I guess my question is in a race as tight as this one, where every single vote matters, can faith be an important component to who wins or who loses? Well, faith is always an important component because as many theologians and even black, and especially black theologians would tell you, that the Old Testament is uh, is is replete with social justice, uh, and, and the prophets are social justice advocates. And in that tradition, I think is Reverend Warnock, who is arguing in in support of all Georgians and and for Americans, uh, uh, you know, who are uh, at every different sort of uh, uh, aspect of life, whether you're rural, suburban, wealthy, or poor. But Herschel Walker is sort of embodying a different kind of faith, which is a, a big departure from George W. Bush's uh, evangelical Christians that sort of brought him into office. These are very, this is a very different community, a community that's willing to elect uh, a celebrity who is less ideological and more of a vehicle for Republican uh, ideology. And that's what I think is really scary here. This is not about social justice. This isn't even about faith. This is about electing people on the right who are just going to do the bidding of the party, whatever that is. It's not even, it's not about Christianity at all. And I think that's the important lesson that I, whether whether I can talk about it or others can talk about it, uh, it, it's an important point to know that this isn't, a, this isn't about religion. This is about passing policy that is actually antithetical to, 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 to the... Yeah, okay. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that, the good and bad. He's evicting people, but yet he's making hundreds of thousands of dollars for fucking rental properties, by the way. New York Times frames up our next segment pretty good. Biden's folksiness can veer into folklore with dates that don't quite add up and details that are exaggerated or wrong. The factual edge shaved off to make more powerful for audiences. And this is in response 
to our sync section where this guy, we have a, a, a montage of him. He's been everything. Black, neighborhood, Hispanic, Martian. Motherfucker just makes it up. But because the media sees the D behind his name, it's okie dokie artichokey. I'll also throw in some humdingers from Miss VP and we'll discuss. I, I, I got raised in the black church. He knows I'm not kidding. I got my education for real in the black church. And that's not hyperbole. It's a fact. I uh, was sort of raised uh, in the Puerto Rican community at home politically. It's a large, mo- very identifiable Somali community. I might add, if you ever come to the train station with me, you'll notice that uh, I have great relationships with them because there's an awful lot of driving cabs. I probably... Uh, went to shul more than many of you did. <laughs> you all think I'm kidding. He can tell you I'm not. You got the first sort of mainstream African-American yeah. who is articulate and bright and, and, and clean and nice looking. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not, what do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? What do you say to President Trump who brags about his test and makes your mental state an issue for voters? Well, if he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion. Young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are. But they don't have lawyers. They don't have, they, they, they don't have accountants. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. What you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community. Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. The three congressmen you have here, two of them look like they could, they really could and did play ball, and the other one looks like he could bomb you. I will once more return to the hollow ground of Yad Vashem to honor six million Jewish lives were stolen in the genocide and continue, which we must do every, every day, continue to bear witness. To keep alive the truth and honor of the Holocaust, horror of the Holocaust. I just have one thing to say. There you go. Dance a little bit, Joe. Come on. I'll tell you, my man. <laughs>
Democratic presidential candidate Joseph Biden today faces a controversy that his opponents could use in raising questions about his character. Three weeks ago at a debate at the Iowa State Fair, he used phrases identical to those delivered by British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock. Biden seemed to be claiming Kinnock's vision and life as his own. Why is it that my wife is sitting out there in the audience is the first in her family to ever go to college? Why is Gladys the first woman in her family in a thousand generations to be able to get the university? My ancestors who worked in the coal mines in northeast Pennsylvania and come up after 12 hours and play football for four hours. Those people who could wait, work eight hours underground and then come up and play football. It's because they didn't have a platform upon which to stand. There was no platform upon which they could stand. The notion that every thought or notion or idea you'd have to go back and find and attribute to someone, I think is, quite frankly, uh, ludicrous. The problem here is that Senator Biden told his audience he'd just been thinking about these things, and he failed to give any credit at all to his famous British speechwriter. You know, I was thinking on the way over here. <laughs> now, that's a little too much, because, as you point out, What's behind the words? What's there? And a lot of people, the rap on Biden has always been that it's just a surface. I should have said, to paraphrase Neil Kinnock, it's the only time I didn't in all the times I've ever used it. But CBS News found a tape of a second instance. It showed up in Iowa, site of the first 1988 caucuses, then reappeared in the New York Times with a new charge that Biden had appropriated a famous litany from the late Robert Kennedy about what the gross national product cannot measure. It cannot measure the health of our children. The health of our children. The quality of our education. The quality of their education. The joy of their play. For the joy of their play. Biden gave Kennedy no credit. He has also quoted or paraphrased John Kennedy, Hubert Humphrey, and British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock, all without credit. Joseph Biden admitted today that he committed plagiarism when he was in law school. He said it was a mistake, but that it was unintentional. I've done some dumb things, and I'll do dumb things again. To the political community in Washington, it all seems of a piece. Plagiarism at law school, plagiarism on the stump. The great communicator, strike that. The great imitator. And any young journalist in our profession, at the Washington Post or elsewhere, caught in that many acts of plagiarism uh, would lose his job and it would be the end of his career. You don't steal verbatim, uh, or when you do, as he did 99% of the time, you give credit. Biden's critics say he sells himself as a man whose words and visions can inspire a new generation in politics. But if the thoughts, phrases, and visions really belong to others, it's a form of false advertising. Is it a wise idea, though, to take something that personal anyway from another politician and try and appropriate it to your own campaign. What it suggests there is a kind of uh, emptiness that you will fill with whatever sounds good. I mean, it makes him mm -hmm. seem a synthetic man, sopping up secondhand emotions from other people. Most people didn't know who he was, you know, Joe Biden, Biden, and now they're going to say, oh yeah, he's the guy who plagiarized. That's a lot of people. First Politically, that's devastating. These clips are devastating. He looks like a Joe Biden wind-up doll with somebody else's words coming out. I think it was a stupid thing to uh, appropriate uh, material that was really very personal that was someone else's. 
if they are going to do things that are stupid as well as immoral uh, or distasteful, uh, and one thing that's clearly stupid is to do it and get caught at it, then they're probably too dumb to have the job of president. Voters are going to have to decide whether he was dishonest or dumb. Senator Joseph Biden may have more explaining to do. The new questions stem from With taped remarks of, of Biden States. during an April campaign appearance in New Hampshire. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. Went back to law school and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only needed 123 credits. Biden now concedes he did not graduate in the top half of his law school class, that he does not have three degrees from college, and that he was not named outstanding political science student in college. Newsweek says Biden actually went to school on a half scholarship, ended up near the bottom of his class, and won only one degree, not three. Joe Biden ranked 76th in a class of 85 at the University of Syracuse Law School. I mean, this guy comes off this whole thing as a flyweight. And I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank. Joe Biden was victimized by the truth. Bye-bye, Biden. He may not know it yet, but I think this is very going to be very difficult for him to recover. Is Joe Biden dead meat, yes or no? I think so. Bob? terminal condition but i mean truly when you you know when you see our kids and i truly believe that they are our children they are the children of our country of our communities i i mean our future is really bright if we if we prioritize them and therefore prioritize the climate crisis and the need to address it and speaking of the system of justice we are also changing y'all might have heard that this week the federal government's approach to marijuana. Because the bottom line there is nobody should have to go to jail for smoking weed. Sixty-one percent of uh, voters approve the decision to pardon people convicted of possession in 68% support legalization. It's worth pointing out that Trump at these same rallies we were just talking about is now calling for the death penalty for drug dealers. I don't know that he's specified what drug, but like the Republican message is going hardcore the other direction. You can pardon people convicted of possession under federal law. You can urge states to follow suit, but you're mostly Democratic governors are the ones who are likely to do so. But ironically, reviewing how marijuana is scheduled under federal law could actually force the industry to be more responsible because if they were regulated by the FDA, they would have to actually think about and be honest about their advertising. There is sort of like the marijuana that people smoke casually and, and there's edibles and stuff. And then there's like the 90% pure stuff that is a whole different ballgame than what uh, we all came up on. Um, you know, and so a little more common sense regulation around the range of of uh, products being sold to people like us, but also young kids, I think would be a very good thing. I think it's a very simple message too, right? Like Republicans want to throw you in jail for smoking weed, Democrats don't. It doesn't get it doesn't get, it doesn't get much easier than that. Republicans like, you know, they think anyone should be able to get an AK-47, but they want you to go to jail for uh, smoking weed. And just remember, <laughs> That's a lot of humdingers. I mean, literally any other politician well, we can. And back in the day, you saw the flashback. They did call him on his plagiarism, his lies. And then you got the every kid's my kid, 
fucking we covered it last podcast. Harris has done put more people in fucking chains than fucking white people have. And Biden did too, called them thugs. You got the Obama bros there talking about Republicans want to put you in jail for this, that, and the other thing. Well, yeah. Yeah, they do. And then the major piece, and I'm going to have it our asshole that I wanted to cover today before we go into some ash and trash. We finally got the video of what these pro-lifers did. But I want to go, dooly do, dooly do. let's go back in time. And let's remember all the times right now that lefties were blocking things. Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole. You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an You dumb asshole! Asshole. Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole.
Now, to remind us, these are the people, a bunch of older people, who were pro-lifers. They didn't burn anything down. I mean, I was nice on that. That's just recent shit. Blocking highways, pouring milk, outside SCOTUS is against the law. 
That's a Planned Parenthood video. I don't know what the fuck that's got to do with taking care of women's reproductive health, but it's really not about reproductive health, is it? All the Floyd, Occupy Wall Street, WTO, every Bush fucking inauguration. So they raided these people because they did this. So we want to tell you the story of a man called Paul Vaughn leading off tonight. Paul Vaughn does not fit the profile of a terrorist. You'd never guess. He's 55 years old. He's a former pastor who now runs a small internet service business in Middle Tennessee. He and his wife are gentle people. They're faithful Christians. They spend most of their time raising their 11 children. So last Wednesday morning at about 7.15, bucolic scene at the Vaughn household. Several of Paul Vaughn's children are standing in the front yard about to head to school. Suddenly, out of nowhere, their world falls down around them. A team of FBI agents armed with automatic rifles swoops in in SUVs and begins pounding on the front door of the family home. Inside the house, Paul Vaughn is watching this and he's shocked. As he said later, when I opened the door and saw the guns pointed at me, I asked them what they wanted. They said they wanted me, and they did. The agents led Paul Vaughn away. Inside the house, his wife, who'd been at the back with their newest child, an 18-month-year-old baby, ran to the front door. Confused and terrified, she asked what anyone would ask, who are you and why are you taking my husband away? We don't need to guess about the exchange because it's on tape. Here's what it looked like. But if you're not going to let me, then I'll just... No, I want to know why you were banging on my door with a gun. You're not going to tell me anything? No, I tried. No, you didn't. You did not try. This is not acceptable. You're not going to give me your name. You're not going to give me any information. I want to know why you were banging Body armor, little watch caps, automatic weapons held at the ready, taking off with her husband. Why are you taking him? Who are you? She asks. But of course, they completely ignore her. No, we're not going to answer. We tried when they didn't. They don't have to answer, because when your husband is a domestic terrorist, the government doesn't owe you an answer to the most basic questions. So Paul Vaughn, we now learn, is a terrorist. But what did he do? You may be wondering that by this point. Well, as the Department of Justice explained later in a statement, Paul Vaughn opposes abortion. And not just in a quiet, personal way. That would be bad enough. But Paul Vaughn is outspoken about his views on abortion. He still believes, being 55, this is a free country with a Bill of Rights that allows you the freedom to say what you want and even have protests on behalf of your ideas. He believes that was the freedom that built this country. So a year and a half ago, in March of 2021, Vaughn and 10 volunteers from a Christian pro-life group in Tennessee staged a protest at an abortion clinic in Mount Juliet. Now, we don't need to speculate about what happened next, and that's a good thing for Paul Vaughn. It was broadcast live on Facebook by one of the volunteers. That would be 73-year-old Chester Gallagher. Watch this. Oh. 
Hey guys, we're gonna need you guys to disperse outside, okay? This is your last warning. I need everybody to step outside, go to the sidewalk. You're more than welcome to protest out on the sidewalk, okay? So I'm just asking real nicely, please, for you guys to leave, go outside on the sidewalk. So you live in the United States and you watch nightly the chaos in your city. Buildings burning, people being pushed in front of subway trains, people getting knocked in the face on the street for no reason, carjackings, murders, up in every city in America. So you look at that and you think, is that really it? That's why armed FBI agents with automatic rifles arrived at Paul Vaughn's home last Wednesday because of that? Because more than a year ago, a group of Christians, many of them elderly, sang hymns? And it's getting scary. Paul Vaughn, who was arrested in front of his many children, joins us now. He's joined by his attorney, Peter Breen, who's a senior counsel and VP at the Thomas More Society. Thank you both very much. Paul, first to you. Um, I, I have to wonder, what did your children think of this? Well, Tucker, they, uh, you know, there's various thoughts and uh, processing going on as they're uh, dealing with this and trying to uh, work through what happened. Uh, fortunately, as a Christian family, we do a lot of studying about historic Christianity and missionaries in the past and persecution that has happened in the church. So they're familiar with stories. They know that people have been martyred throughout history. They know they've been persecuted and, and picked on by bully tyrants uh, just in other parts of history, just like they are being in America today. But you're not allowed to unleash the FBI on an entire religion, are you? Absolutely not. And, and don't think because they've been trained that makes it okay. When, when, I, when my kids go out to the car to go to school and the FBI pulls up, armed, running to the door, and one of them goes to the kids and holds the kids with a long gun aside of my driveway and does not let them go into the house, that is Absolutely, as my wife said in the video, unacceptable. And so there I'm needs a, to be accountability. Well, it's, it's one of the most shocking things I think I've ever seen. I, I have to ask you, so the FBI, the Department of Justice, I can barely say that phrase with a straight face, is claiming that you're a, a, a violent extremist who is a physical threat to others. Do you embrace violence? Have you ever committed violence? What are they talking about? No, I have no idea. That's, yeah. There's absolutely no evidence of that. Other, the only place that is ever even seen is in the documents that they made up and uh, used to justify in their mind and through the um, justice system. The ones that signed off on this needed some yep. kind of justification in their own minds to, uh, to go after peaceful people yep. that disagreed with them politically. So they sang on the ground and they blocked an entrance peacefully. We have climate people taping themselves to stuff, stopping highways, blocking bridges, burning down shit. We just had Jane's Revenge, hundreds of pregnancy centers and churches, vandalized, painted, broken, burned. I mean, it was bad enough last podcast. I was angry enough because it's once again, it's not about law anymore it's about who you align with who you vote for 
And every time we have a Democratic administration, they abuse the power of the DOJ and FBI and IRS, and they go after enemies. But the average American doesn't know it. They don't pay attention because you don't see it on CNN. You don't see it on MSNBC. You see good Christian, bad Christian. And all day long, all you get is this kind of brainwashing from dawn to dusk. Okay, you are a successful author and attorney. You've said that words are very careful. You choose them carefully. They're important. Um, You've used the words rigged and stolen about the 2018 gubernatorial election. You said it was proper because you can back it up. But a federal judge has now said the voter protocols that you challenged in Georgia, by his estimation, didn't violate the Constitution or the Voting Rights Act. New York Times adds this. The judge, who was nominated by President Barack Obama, added that fair fight action did not provide direct evidence of a voter who was unable to vote experienced longer wait times, was confused about voter registration status. Do you take issue with Judge Jones' findings in this case? I take issue with the characterization that you've read. What the judge said in a 288-page decision was that repeatedly, under the Gringle standard, Georgia violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Under the Bronovich standard, which existed as of 2021, Gringles existed in 2020, and when we filed the lawsuit, Bronovich was the weakening of the Voting Rights Act that happened out of Arizona in 2021. And under the new standard, he did not have the authority to find that we proved our case under violations of Section 2. But he said that it was a racially discriminatory system. He spent copious amounts of time explaining how Brian Kemp oversaw a racist system that disproportionately affected brown voters. He said that while he was deeply concerned about what happened, he could not, under the Bronovich categorization, actually hold him accountable. That is very different than saying nothing happened. And what we were able to prove in what took four months, what was the longest, longest trial on a voting rights case in Georgia in decades, the, the, what the court said is that he was not able to find that we could meet the standard under the new weakened Voting Rights Act. And that's the reason that I'm pushing so hard for the Voting Rights Act to be restored and expanded, but it's also why I'm running for governor. We need a governor who actually cannot be credibly accused of having overseen a racist system. And Brian Kipp, according to Judge Jones, oversaw and helped architect a racist voter suppression system in the state of Georgia. Well, I've read the opinion as well, and I would say the characterization is a bit different, but he does ultimately, Judge Jones, say no violation of Voting Rights Act. And you mentioned there are different standards in case law that's evolved through the Supreme Court on that front. But the direct quote from his ruling says no evidence that a voter couldn't vote, experience wait times, or was confused about voter registration status. And And I know the issue here for you is voter suppression. So let's look at the numbers in Georgia. The last gubernatorial primary versus now, there's a net increase of 763,380 voters. That sounds like the opposite of voter suppression. Voter suppression is not about turnout. It's about the barriers and obstacles to access. And that's one of the other conflations that I think is very important that we distinguish. Voter suppression exists when there's difficulty registering, staying on the rolls, being able to cast a ballot and having that ballot counted. And in the state of Georgia, we adequately proved, and more and more voters have experienced difficulties with doing so. In 2018, Brian Kemp, by according to federal law, he violated the rights of 53,000 Georgians. There was a federal court that two years before it found him in violation with 30, 
more than 30,000 voters, holding those registrations hostage. And what happened in the intervening years from 2019 to 2022, because of our lawsuit, we got 22,000 voters restored to the rolls. We got 2,000 naturalized citizens put out, we got them restored and actually got them the ability to vote in the state of Georgia. We were able to challenge a number of issues and we saw legislative changes made in response to our lawsuit. Voter suppression is not about how many people try to vote, it's about whether or not there are obstacles to and barriers to voting that are created by the very state that should be guaranteeing their access. And so, yes, I am always going to be concerned about access to the right to vote, especially when we have a governor who signed a bill that makes it even more difficult. We are hearing stories about disabled people who are having a difficult time navigating the new absentee ballot requirements, senior citizens who for 15 years received their absentee ballots automatically but are no longer able to receive them. We know that these are barriers to voting, and in the United States of America, in the state of Georgia, barriers to voting should never be considered a native good. We should always be trying to expand access for eligible citizens, and that's the fight that I will continue to fight. Okay, and that case has been going since 2018. So let's talk about what you had to say in 2019 about that race, and then we'll talk about now. Here's the statement. We had this little election back in 2018, and despite the final tally and the inauguration and the situation we find ourselves in, I do have one very affirmative statement to make. We won. So that was then. This is now. Will you characterize a win by the governor if he's reelected with more votes in his column as legitimate this time around? In 2018, I acknowledged that he was the victor of the vote. And if you listen to the next 18 minutes of that speech, and I did this morning, actually, I spend a great deal of time explaining that when I say we won, I'm speaking to the National Action Network, which works with marginalized and disadvantaged groups. And my express purpose was saying to them that by having candidates actually pay attention to our needs, the way I'm going to the AAPI community and talking about access issues because of language barriers, the way I'm doing talking to black and brown voters, talking about access to capital, the way I'm going to Latino voters, talking about the fact that they have, they're most likely to not have access to health care the responsibility of any candidate and more importantly any governor is to serve their needs and that our campaign proved that we won by getting more people involved in the process repeatedly in that very same speech if you fast forward any amount of time I am clearly laying out the challenges that our voters face and the challenges our citizens face when we do not have government that sees them. I acknowledged that Brian Kemp won. I acknowledge it actually repeatedly in that speech. I very clearly say I know I'm not the governor. But what I will not do is allow the lack of nuance in our conversations to dull and obfuscate the challenges faced by our citizens. Georgians are facing terrible hardships. And while there are some who are doing well, there are so many more who need access to health care and are about to lose the sixth hospital under this governor, who are facing affordable housing challenges, and he says he doesn't want to disturb investors. They are watching their freedoms being stripped away, and he calls it a personal choice for Herschel Walker, but not a personal choice for the millions of Georgia women who need access to abortion care. Across the board, my fight will always be to stand up for Georgians, to stand up for Georgia voters, and I will always say that when we make progress, that is a victory we should claim, because for too long our progress was David one of the interesting things about that analysis by the Washington Post is it includes two it's two groups uh, of Republicans one is people who just lie about the election or they're wrong and deluded and just say it was stolen or whatever and then there's the questioners and these questioners these Republican questioners 
to me, a lot of them are people who know better, but are afraid mm -hmm. that if they don't at least come out with, oh, it was rigged in a different way because Twitter wouldn't let the New York Post publish, a, you know, publicize the Hunter Biden story or whatever, but they go along with it in a way that makes them feel comfortable, but they're still playing along with the lie. I almost find them more cynical players than the deniers. What do you think? A stand-up comedian is being applauded for how she handled a heckler this weekend, a heckler that got completely out of control, who repeatedly interrupted her, when, and then this comedian was attacked on stage. Watch this. Everybody vote for whoever you want to vote. I don't, I don't care who you voted for. I'm just happy we're all here together. So you voted for Biden. Okay. Huh. I don't know. Why does it matter? Joining me now is that comedian, Ariel Elias. Thank you so much for coming on. Ariel, we were joking in the break, like never did you think you were gonna be up, ending up on CNN after um, your gig on Saturday night. But what did you think when a beer came flying at your head and then you picked it up to chug it? Uh, I couldn't believe it had happened. And then as soon as I picked it up and realized there was still liquid in it, I was just like, well, I have, I have to drink this. I have to chug this. Just like I, this has to end. This has to end some way that involves <laughs> not involves having some kind of humor in all of this. Yeah, yeah. Every anytime there's a weird interruption in stand up, it's always like, well, how do I recover from this? How do I um, not dig a hole for the next comedian that he has to climb out of? Um, and like, I don't know. How do we make this fun? And also, after having a beer flying past my head, I could probably use a drink as well. Yeah, yeah, it helped. <laughs> <laughs> helped in the moment. When this happened, for context, because um, we didn't play the entire part of, that, of, of the bit, you had reached the point in your set where you were asking the audience for if they had any questions to kind of go back and forth. Have you gotten anything close to this in the past when you've opened it up like that? No, it's never, it's never really been hostile. Usually when I ask that, it's fun to see what people are curious about, what audience members want to know. Sometimes it leads nowhere. Sometimes it leads to a new bit. But no, it's never been, it's never been like angry. Yeah. So the club owner told BuzzFeed that he's in touch with local law enforcement, like local police, about what happened. And I actually talked to uh, a comedian who's a friend of mine who's performed there in the past and said that there's been issues at this place with hecklers um, before. But still, you've said that the club has asked you back and booked you again for April. How do you feel about going back? I feel like I should have asked for more money. <laughs> <laughs> there's probably still time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll go back. Uh, I, I think we'll see. I haven't like fully processed everything yet, but like yeah. I'm a working comedian, so I will go where people ask me to go. Well, we also have seen in just the past year, I'll say, a series of incidents of comedians not just being heckled, but being attacked or aggressively, you know, having beers thrown out their head in, in your case. 
Most famously, obviously, perhaps is Chris Rock at the Oscars. Do you have like a message to the people that came at you over the weekend or anyone else who might feel emboldened to do something similar? It just seems that there's been more and more incidents of people not just heckling and, you know, maybe being overserved, but also taking it way too far. Um, I don't know. Therapy is great. I highly recommend it. Um, if you don't have access to therapy, just try like writing down your feelings and maybe you'll feel like throwing things less often. Um, and also like, I don't know, comedy is supposed to be fun. So like, go have a fun time. Don't look for a fight. That's it. Yep. I think if you'll you be happy like the, if you're not always yeah. looking for a fight. Well, it's, and that's the thing. If you don't like it, there's always going to be another joke. Um, and there's always another set. And there's always another day for you to be on stage. Well, thank you for coming on. Thanks for how you handled it. And I really appreciate it. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks for having me. ...web series from The Hill invited on a public defender to discuss the case of Jalen Walker, who was killed by police after fleeing a traffic stop. Watch her push back when the host seems a little too eager to accept the police line. There's no world, no traffic infraction, the punishment is death. Not a one. Never. So there's no reason why eight officers should choose to go and shoot him to death. I, I guess I, I just don't have a lot of sympathy in this particular case, although I do have, have a lot of sympathy in this case where he was shot 60 times. After, after leading the police on a high-speed chase and returning fire? First of all, let me just say this. <laughs> the police? No. Let's... let's because too often media reports on what are police stories as though it is the ultimate truth. We see too many, too many discrepancies for us to consist consistently lean on what the police say is the truth. Absolutely. What we know I is agree. police say, which has not yet been substantiated or corroborated, sure. they say they believe that one bullet might have come from the window. They say that that's what they say. Their argument is maybe. Oh, right. Who knows if that's Exactly. Okay. But what I do know is that they shot this boy 60 times yeah. for a traffic infraction. I know that. Yeah. So. All right. We'll have our rising panel join us next. It's amazing! If for nothing else than to watch Baby Ryan Seacrest try to wrap up the segment after getting his ass absolutely handed to him. But while it's incredible to watch him in real time backtrack from, I don't have a lot of sympathy to, oh, absolutely, I agree, who knows what's true, it should not be incumbent on that woman to walk him to that point. She can't be on every local news set. She has a life to live. And there are small changes that might help reorient all of our thinking. So Very busy weekend for our future president. Kanye West is, um... <laughs> yazier than ever. He got locked out of his Twitter account yesterday after posting, I'm a bit sleepy tonight, but when I wake up, I'm going DEATHCON 3 on Jewish people. Which, the all caps were a nice touch. Um, he should change his name from Ye to Boo, right? I, I mean, he... <laughs> Even Mel Gibson is like, reel it in, buddy. You're gonna, you're gonna. <laughs> he also suggested publicly that his friend Diddy, who's trying to talk some sense into him, is being controlled by Jews. So uh, I guess my Kanye-themed bar mitzvah is off. The, um, this came on the heels of Kanye's exclusive sit-down with fellow white supremacist Tucker Carlson, who went above and beyond to try to make his guest appear to be mentally very healthy. Uh, I, I keep telling this joke. If people say Trump was the first black president... Okay, no one says that. <laughs> I'd be the first Latino president. Because all the values, the, the conservative values just line up. Come on, man, Trump's the sh What do you mean? He has his own buildings. What are you talking about? He's like... <laughs> like Ralph Lauren. He made Ivanka. <laughs> you like Ivanka? Yeah. Oh, my God. And all of a sudden... They both got super horny at the same time. <laughs>
But if Ye does like Ivanka, he apparently does not feel similarly about her husband, Jared, and his brother, Josh. Sitting with Jared and sitting with Josh and finding out other pieces of information, I was like, wow, these guys might have really been holding Trump back. They love to just look at me or look at Trump like we're so crazy and that they're the businessmen. You know where he made these peace treaties? I just think it was to make money. I don't know, is that, is that too heavy-handed to put on this platform? No, that's, that's your opinion. We're not in the censorship business. Okay, thank you. Yeah, no, we know. We're in the fear and dictatorship business. Is... And the panel's still here with me. I want to start this discussion by talking about President Biden and his wild week from the decision by OPEC to cut uh, oil production, Jen, to these revelations at the end of the week in the Washington Post that um, investigators believe they do have enough evidence to charge Hunter Biden. It's not clear he's going to be charged, but how large is this looming over the president, over Democrats broadly? Well, it was a big week here in Washington. So much news. I don't yes. even know how you decided what to talk <laughs> about this morning, Kristen. But the mm -hmm. truth is, you know, I looked at a bunch of local uh, front pages uh, yeah. this morning. And if you look at the front page in Nevada, they're talking about Trump's rally there and what it means for candidates and turning out the vote. If you look at the front pages in Pennsylvania, they're talking about Mastriano. Does he have a grassroots mm. campaign or movement going? And obviously, Georgia is quite focused on every latest development in Herschel Walker. So the truth as, as much as there was so much news happening in Washington this week, it doesn't always translate and often doesn't translate to what voters are talking about in states. And I think that's what we're seeing currently. Well, we'll probably translate what happened this week is with gas prices. And one, one, of the, the one, one, of the, one of the big pieces of news this week was that OPEC is cutting back production at the worst possible time for Democrats. And gas prices, if you want to figure out the direction of politics, watch gas prices. And Democrats did better during the summer when they started to tick down. It's very likely they're about to start going back up and that's bad news for Democrats. And I was just talking to a voter who told me at the end of the day it's the party in office that's going to be blamed for this and we know mm. White House officials have told me that they look at this every day and it's a neon sign on the roads across America what is the price of gas. My friend in my I have a friend who's in Arizona just sent me a screenshot of seven dollars yeah. gas prices there just talking about how worried she is. She's not someone who's deeply into politics, but she's someone who really notices when the economy is going one way or the, the other. Administration officials say the first thing they do is look at the gas prices in the morning. I do want- How has your relationship to and with Trump, how does that come through in your reporting? Because you have a relationship with him like very few other people do. So I actually, I disagree with you there. I think he's a subject who I cover. Uh, I covered Hillary Clinton, I covered Mike Bloomberg, I covered Rudy Giuliani um, in his final term in, in office at City Hall and then his presidential campaign and then versions of him in the last several years. Uh, I covered it more of a remove, Presidents Clinton, Obama, uh, W. Um, now he just interprets coverage differently. I don't, I, I just, the word relationship I think is not the right Well, one. relationship too, I think, I think he thinks of you in a certain singular way that separates you from other reporters. I just don't think that's true. I don't. I, I don't. I mean, I think he's obsessed with the times, and I think that's that's a lot of it. I think some Times reporters would disagree with you. <laughs> times reporters who wish they had a book. Um, this is lots a of Times reporters with a book. We're doing okay. This is a question not from the. It is not goodbye, but it is certainly the end of an era as we sign off this last broadcast of Don Lemon tonight. More than eight years, thousands of hours of live TV, historic moments, and tough conversations. A lot happened between 10 and midnight or later. Just a few moments.
Good evening. This is the Don Lemon Show. Tonight, into thin air. How does a plane simply disappear? If you can conceive it in your mind. If you can think of it, you can do it. That's the human condition. Hey, Don Lemon. Undisputed truth. Remember the lemon head candy? Which is that? Yes. You're killing the game. I'd have to tell you that. You're killing it. I'm just being me and I'm being honest. Look around us. This is not a war zone. These are people who have gathered here peacefully. They want some tough questions answered. It's live from the streets of Baltimore under a mandatory curfew now for the third night in a row. It's 10 p.m. here in Charleston on an extraordinary day for America. Manhunt. Escape killer Richard Matt is dead. This on a day the Supreme Court changed the lives of millions of gay Americans ruling same-sex couples can be legally married in every one of the 50 states. This is also the day that President Obama came here to Charleston to deliver a eulogy that turned into a moving sermon on race and the power of faith. Are you racist? I am the least racist person that you have ever met. We're live in Las Vegas. Here's our breaking news. Investigators piecing together clues to the worst massacre in modern American history. Today, 17 lives are over. 17 families are torn apart. Every single one of us is just playing the odds at this point. Are you really willing to keep playing those odds? The racist white supremacist cowards this weekend evidently feel they have no reason to hide. They boldly showed their faces. Perhaps they feel emboldened or even legitimized for some reason. This race thing is, is, is taking over, you know, and, and um, because one, because I believe our president is kind of trying to divide us. Um, but I think kind of. Yeah, he is. <laughs> you have black folks back. Is that well, what you're saying? They've had my back my whole career, and I, I hope I have the back of everybody. Sarah, can you do me a favor? To can George you get Floyd? the chief? The Floyd family has asked if you are going to get justice for George Floyd. To the Floyd family, um, being silent or not intervening, to me, you're complicit. The nation's capital is under curfew tonight. Lawmakers reconvened to count electoral college votes on one of the darkest days in American history. Domestic terrorists, that's what, that's what you are, domestic terrorists who are goaded on by the president into an attack on our very own capital. I want you to let that sink in. Here in Lviv, there are now at least 200,000 refugees. The best of humanity, unfortunately, shows up yeah. in the worst moments of humanity. This country has lost one of our greatest treasures. Aretha Franklin. This is very personal for me, as you can probably tell. This is CNN Breaking News. What's that all about? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What is this for? Oh, my God. I hate surprises. I'm actually in a uh, mobile uh, weather vehicle now. Miniature kangaroos are endangered because of that. <laughs> How do you keep a healthy lifestyle when you eat cookies all the time? Thanks for coming in. <laughs> the llama. <laughs> I cannot believe this happened. Okay. <laughs> um, where were we? <laughs> And that's where were we, right? That was um, before our country went to hell in a handbasket. Uh, well, you know, look, this is it. 
The final Donovan tonight it is a bittersweet moment for me, but it's not going to be a sad moment. I'm not going to be sad about it. I, I'm just going to miss working with all of the great people who really work their butts off every single day to put this show on the air. So tonight is this isn't about me. This is about you guys who are in the control room and in the studio. This is about you. Ten hours of live television a week with honestly not a lot of resources. That's quite a feat. Everyone is in bed. The like giant apparatus of a network. Most people are sleeping, even though we're a 24-hour news organization. So but we're on our own a lot here. I want to thank all of the people, all of you guys, for making me look good. I'm talking about the people in the control room, the people who put on the show, for having my back, for missing dinners and PTA meetings and birthdays and ball games and spelling bees and doctor's appointments, all of it while getting home back to your families after midnight while the kids and the husbands and the wives and the pets were all sleeping, all because you believed in me and you were committed to putting a show on the air that bears my name. I am immensely grateful to all of you. You will always be my family. We were all in this together. When the critics attacked me, you had my back. When conservatives attacked me, you had my back. When liberals attacked me, you had my back. When racists attacked, you had my back. And speaking of, when the former president sent armies of bigots and people who threatened my life after me, you had my back as well. Our lives changed together in both good and unfortunate ways. We celebrated the birth of, of new Don Lemon Tonight family members, and sadly, we saw the deaths of close friends and dear loved ones. I will never forget all of you for carrying me when I could barely stand. After I walked into work just a few years ago and I got a call that my sister had died suddenly, in that moment, I could have never arranged a car or a flight. I couldn't even have found my way to the elevator or to the entrance of this building if you hadn't literally held my hand and walked me out of the building. So thank you, Jeff, and Maria, and Flip, and Alyssa, and Rachel, and Shanique, and Zach, and Mel, and Susan, and everyone on this team, every single person on this team. If I did not mention your name, it is for the sake of time. I don't want to go over, and it's not because I'm not appreciative. For every, all of you gentlemen in the studio who kept me sane, who made me laugh, and ladies, <laughs> and made me laugh, and got me in trouble many times because I was reacting to what you were doing. I, are, I am eternally grateful to all of you. I want to thank you, the loyal viewers, who sent me masks during COVID, cards and letters of condolences and inspiration, Christmas cards, so many, many gifts and presents over the years. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Even sending me food. Uh, I, you know, I'm not going to miss the brain fog. <laughs> <laughs> from these hours from getting off at midnight, nor the late night meals, which gave me dad bod and all of us we gained and lost so much weight together, right? Am I lying? It's true. So listen, the viewers at home, I know I was not always perfect because no one is perfect because there are immense pressures that come with this job and in particular this time slot at 10 o'clock when people are going to bed. So sometimes... All I could do, I'm going to be honest with you, is just smile and just get to the commercial break sometimes. It's just, it's, sometimes it was exhausting. Because some of the... And then you have uh, fucking that Abrams who rigged the fucking election in Georgia. Once again, Tapper, uh, GOP saying big tech censorship.
rigged 2020. It did, you idiot. A comedian nobody heard of now is a star because she fought Mega. Oliver, he's just an example of every night fucking comedy. Just, it's, it's what we have on our air 24-7. Never stopping. Hell, Jimmy Kimmel's the next one. Pisaki won't answer things. You have Molly Haberman. It's all business for them. It's all business. It's how they make their money. They make their money by making stories about fucking Republicans. Most of them are lies. And they fucking write books on it. Oh, and y'all said Don Lemon's goodbye. Goodbye. And then when you get down to the gist... These next three, we need a Obama-run democracy thing. The Christmas killer, we don't even know anything about this case. He went to court. And the head of the teachers' union is in Ukraine. Now, we've had everybody from the left in Ukraine. Why? What is going on in Ukraine? Because if you have kids, your kids wake up if you have anything to do with an election, if you're an election worker or a news anchor, and they want to know what happened. And I think we have to have a conversation as a country about how we might not know the next morning what happened. We might not know the day after that. And that is their point. That is their point. They're not all running to win. Some of them will, unfortunately. They are running to sow discord in America. And it will change everything. We will wake up the morning after Election Day. We might not even call it that anymore in two years. We might not call it election day. We might call it election week because what we are watching and because it's so slow, it's so slow. We don't cover it as a five alarm fire, but it is. We are watching Republicans not just destroying democracy in the dark, breaking into election officers and plugging stuff in. We're watching them do it from rally stages, debate stages. That's where they're doing it. And and I guess... The reason I asked you if we'd been here before is, do you think it requires, you know, a democracy commission? Should 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 President Obama ask Chris Christie and Ben Ginsburg to sort of man a democracy hotline the way, you know, people used to? All right, we are back on the record. Appearances are as they were before. I need to make a record that at 8.42 a.m., this court ordered Mr. Brooks be removed from the courtroom due to repeated uh, interruptions and disruption uh, with the court. Uh, this, of course, comes on the recent history with Mr. Brooks. On every day that we have been in court since Monday, um, he has shown a complete and utter disrespect for the simple rules of civility. Um, he has been removed from the courtroom multiple times. This morning alone, he started interrupting this court within a minute of the court calling the case. Um, I should also make a record at, at the moment he is muted uh, because of the way that he was removed from the courtroom and his conduct since. Um, I have been given just a bit of information about it. I will advise everyone that I have required that the Sheriff's Department uh, file a written report with the court uh, regarding Mr. Brooks's conduct. I'm told that um, he would not sit down while in this courtroom in order to have the shackles removed so that he could be taken to the other courtroom, that he was resisting. 
um, that at one point he took off a shoe and it appeared uh, to the deputies that he was going to throw the shoe. Um, you can see that he is seated with his back uh, to the court or to the camera. He took his shirt off as well. I'm also told that he is threatening to throw and break items. So, you know, we've been uh, in Zamosht um, for the last couple of hours and checking in on our, the people that we were visiting in Ukraine, in Lviv. And uh, we've made a decision that we're going to go to Lviv and talk to the union leaders there and um, that we're not going to let Putin um, get away with terrorizing people. People, um, uh, Putin terrorized people today with this wave of indiscriminate bombings throughout the cities of, of Ukraine um, as he has terrorized people since um, February. So our trip of solidarity and bearing witness is probably more important today than it was um, when we planned it. And so the schools are closed. Children are learning um, remotely or in bunkers right now. Um, but the union leadership um, wants to meet with us and we want to meet with them. And so we're on our way to Lviv. Why? Why, why is she in Ukraine? Why don't we know about the Christmas killer? Why do we need the Obama to come back? And then when we're talking on this specific incident, this is the tripe, which is our media jerk-up of the week, of what they put on the air that is directly attacks, lies about the pro-life stance. You would think nobody can get an abortion anymore. I am a politic, the media jerk-off of the week. So hot. Rick Scott just said that Georgia values is holding a gun to a woman's head and saying you're going to gonna pull the trigger and kill her? That's mm. what Rick Scott says. Rick Scott says Georgia Values is, is, is having four children that you abandon, I mean, I four children four. that you four? do not raise, four, four that we know so far, four that you do not raise. He says that Georgia Values are... <clears throat> are lying. I mean, in real time, we saw on this show when this woman was brought up, Walker lied because she, like she doesn't exist. I don't know who this person is. And then My we God. find out that this person that Walker says on the campaign trail to Georgia voters, Georgia values, a politician lying through his teeth about abortions, a politician lying through his teeth about children that he's a father of who he's abandoned for children. He says the woman doesn't exist. At the same time, the woman is texting his wife. At the same time, the woman is talking to the New York Times. At the same time, the woman is saying, not only did I have one abortion because he pressured me to do it, he wanted me to have a second abortion, and I refused to do it. So that was the end of our relationship. Walker says this woman doesn't exist, and yet 
In 2014, he started paying child support for the child that his girlfriend refused to abort. I think when you see all of this, you see the lying going on in real time, you see the abandonment of four children, you understand what Peggy Noonan wrote about this weekend for the Wall Street Journal when she said Republicans don't understand what's the central crisis for this campaign. It's not the abortions. Nope. It's not that he's made mistakes in the past. Nope. And Peggy says what I think most people say, that we're all humans, we all sin, we all make mistakes. Peggy says, though, that's not the problem. The problem is that he has abandoned four children. And one of those children started all this by coming out saying he refused to be a dad to any of us. He just continued going out there, having sex with other women instead of being our dad. And this is what Rick's got. And this is the Republican point. This really is the Republican point at its, at its lowest point. I think even more than the Access Hollywood tape. Rick Scott talks about Georgia values and says he's coming in to endorse a guy who's abandoned four children, paid for abortions, lied about the abortions, put a gun up to uh, a, a, a woman's head, said he was going to kill her. Nevers denied that. But in this campaign, he's just lying through his teeth. And even as Peggy says, even if you put all that to the side, this may be in our lifetime, and I would guess in Peggy's and mine, speaking for myself here, the least, the single least qualified candidate for the United States Senate that I've ever seen mm -hmm. win his party's or her party's nomination. And Republicans like Tom Cotton, who's so morally self-righteous, rushing in to go, yes, I'm proud to support this guy, who again, Made mistakes. We all made mistakes. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus tells us that. That's not the breaking news. The breaking news is he's still lying about the abortions. He's still lying about the children he abandoned. He's still lying about these women who are saying he abused them or neglected their children. And this is what Rick Scott supports this is what Tom Cotton supports. This is what the Republican Party of Donald Trump in 2022 supports. I've never seen anything like it. Let's I had my abortion. I, uh, I felt nothing but intense relief. I was trying to feel guilty because that's what I knew from the movies, right? In the movies, they show people really struggling with it and feeling terrible and trying to remember what the birth date would have been of that baby. And I just couldn't get there. I just felt relieved and grateful to live in a country that made this safe and free and accessible for me. And that now my life wasn't over. On the question of abortion, your opponent described you as something of an extremist. Those are her words, not ours. Do you support the current 15-week yeah. ban in Arizona, or would you 
seek a different approach? And is there a week limit different than 15 weeks you are in favor of? And if so, why? Uh, I I don't support the 15-week the ban, but let me just say that Carrie Lake is is entirely uh, misconstruing my position on this issue. Uh, you and I both know that late-term abortion is extremely rare, and if it's being talked about, it's because something has gone incredibly wrong in a pregnancy. Uh, a doctor's not gonna perform an abortion late in a pregnancy just because somebody decided they want one. Uh, that is ridiculous, and she's saying this to distract from her incredibly extreme position, uh, which ha she's gone on the record saying she supports uh, Arizona's uh, complete abortion ban that w that is uh, in the courts right now being decided if that will be the law of Arizona or not. She's called it a great law. She's called people who seek abortion murderers and executioners. Uh, and, um, and under a Kerry Lake administration, we would have government mandated forced births that risk women's lives. Uh, and, and her position is the one that ex that's extreme. It's out of touch where with where the majority of Arizonans are who support access to safe and legal abortion. Uh, and under her administration, uh, women would not be safe. What would the Hobbs administration's weak limit be for abortion access? If it's not 15 weeks, what is it? Look, abortion is a very personal decision that belongs between a woman and her doctor. The government and politicians don't belong in that decision. We need to let doctors perform the care that they are trained and take an oath to, to perform. So if an Arizona voter were to conclude from your previous answer that you do not favor any specific weak limit on abortion, would they be correct? I support legal... Well, Danielle, I think to your point, though, they did it before. Now, there's a certain group of GOP voters that looked at Donald Trump and said, he's going to give me a conservative SCOTUS and I'm going to see the end of Roe v. Wade. And that's exactly what Mitch McConnell delivered, courtesy of Donald Trump, right? So in some way, these voters, again, a certain group of them, they don't have a problem owning this. They don't have a problem standing next to somebody like Herschel Walker. But, but listen, you said it, and it's true. This was never about being pro-life. It was always about being pro-power. So should we be grateful now, Danielle, that Republicans have finally stopped the charade? They stopped pretending what it's about. And if so, does that change how Democrats should be approaching the issue of abortion? I mean, the fact is, is that Democrats need to be authentic to their base. And the base is very pro-choice. This is about bodily autonomy. This is about freedom. And frankly, it is also about our economy. Because when you pull women out of the workforce because they, one, we're not gonna provide them with childcare. We're not providing increase in, in child tax credits. We're not giving you universal pre-K. We're not doing any of the things that would say that this country and the Republican party is behind women and families. No, we're not doing that at all. Once these babies come out, you're on your own. And so the Democrats need to just tell the truth. They need to continue to tell the truth about who the Republican Party is. They aren't the party of values. They are the party of power. They are the party that wants to create policy that is based in cruelty and oppression. And those things need to be very clear. Look, if Herschel Walker can make decisions about his future and his family, then why should he rob Americans of the opportunity to do the same? Why is it okay for Republicans to be able to use right, the access to abortion for their own means, but then have the power to block it from millions of people with uteruses? Give me a break. And I hope that the voters recognize this, that this is not about them caring about what happens to quote unquote babies. 
This is about what happens when they are able to take over the Senate and to take over the House and somehow. Behind Republicans' nationwide abortion ban is a powerful extremist group, National Right to Life. They're behind Adam Laxalt, too, and he's proud to have their endorsement. They want no exceptions for rape or incest and said a 10-year-old rape victim should be forced to have the baby. And Adam Laxalt promised to join in their fight if elected. In the Senate, Laxalt would vote for their nationwide abortion ban. Don't give him the chance. I'm Catherine Cortez Masto, and I approve this. And the backdrop to that candidacy is uh, women losing the right to an abortion for the uh, first time in 50 years. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the rollback of women's rights here is very concerning and it is tied. And I think, look, we many of us understand how profound the rollback you know, of abortion rights after Dobbs is for women's autonomy and ability to thrive in this nation. What I think we talk less about or think less about is what that does to undermine democracy, mm. that ultimately women's full and equal participation in society at every level, including bodily autonomy, is fundamental to democracy functioning. And it also comes to a moment where women for the brunt of the impact of the pandemic, societal changes, economic changes as well. So there's a lot going on there. So are we seeing, there's been sort of anecdotal thoughts, Democrats are saying, hey, women are registering to vote for at, mm-hmm. at untold numbers. Are we, are you, for what you could track, is that gonna happen? Is that gonna fall through with a push for midterm elections, which by any measure are gonna be razor thin? Right, and I've talked a lot here on the show about our polling around this and how galvanizing the Dobbs issue has been for women. And obviously, of course, the Kansas vote as a potential bellwether. Um, the polls continue to show that abortion is not the top issue for voters. The economy continues to be. But in places around the country where there are very thin margins, where the turnout, uh, of independent women, uh, just even a marginal increase in the turnout of younger women, of black voters, that that can have a hugely transformative effect on the outcomes of the election. So I do think, and our polls continue to show this, that this is um, a transformational issue in American politics, as it should be. And, And the thing that... Abortion is fundamental to democracy. Fundamental to democracy. Really, that's that's what we're going with. I mean, they they are so fucking extreme. That was trending, and once again, you can't attack a conservative wife or a, a Democrat wife or Flotus. You can't do those things. That is unacceptable. But you can do that. To a conservative wife all day long and twice on Saturday. It's okay. No big deal. Our media is so skewed. We're not covering the border. We're covering that GOP are pushing people to come to America because they're trucking them to the places they want to go. That That's an actual thing. That is some twisted fucking shit. Twisted fucking shit. And in my journey to find things, here's Abrams again making up stuff about babies. For you to become governor, where would you draw the line? 15 weeks, viability, 36 weeks, what's the limit? 
where, what I've always said is that abortion is a medical decision that should be made by a doctor and the woman, and that the point of viability as determined by a doctor should always take into consideration the life and health of a woman. That should be the standard. But the arbitrary standards of timelines ignore the medical reality that it is a fallacy. We know exactly when a pregnancy starts, that we know exactly where we are in the system, I mean, in the, in the term. And what doctors will tell you is that they need to make decisions based on the woman they are treating. And what women will tell you is that they need the right to make medical decisions that can save their lives and save their ability to control their bodies and their futures they they just make shit up the arbitrary standard of timelines ignores the medical reality that is a fallacy we know exactly when a pregnancy starts everybody on this planet knows that 22 week old babies make it i mean that lady what's her name lauren Leader is the founder of All In Together. That was the one that it's fundamental to democracy. So democracy was invented in 1973, people say. It was the Scots who built this country. Dead babies. These fuckers were online to all the companies celebrating torture, rape, murder, enslavement, and exploitation with a happy Columbus Day post. I see you. I see you. Because once again, it's indigenous people. Indigenous people day. Indigenous people. If you're not saying indigenous people, you're a piece of shit. And it always leads me to this. This is the the, the point of everything, I think, that we deal with in politics comes down to Trump. Every one of these principled conservatives who hated Trump now promote Democrats because, once again, These people aren't that deep and they like to act, you know, they like going on Twitter and being liked. They like that the liberal media loves them and asks them to come on. So they forsaked everything they ever believed in before and now they're Dems. And it's comedic. I mean, did you know that the supposed brokering that Biden did to stop the rail Strike didn't go through. You know that if you watch Fox. Because nowhere else did anybody care it. It just went away. He fixed it. Mr. I don't even know where the fuck I'm walking fixed it. But he didn't. So as we go into our everything is racist today, because that's the predominant amount of my, my sound bites, and we do a quick trans, remember, every election cycle, this is what happens to our media. They'll fluff up a Fetterman, dog a walker in Oz, and they'll tell you, if you don't vote the way they're telling you, you're a fucking racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. 
I've always said, you know, please, people need to start just looking up what the definition of racism is. It's really a power dynamic. It's not just about the color of your skin. And I, I'd like to add, you know, as an Afro-Latina, that um, what surprised me the most is that not one person in that room mm -hmm. said, so yeah, you don't say that. Mm -hmm. How dare you? Right. And I will tell you, I get that there is a lot of anti-blackness, anti-black hatred in the Latino community because I grew up with it. And I think they have a picture of my parents. And, and, and those are my parents. My mother obviously is a, a white Puerto Rican. My mm -hmm. father is a black man. She's also Jewish. And my mother tells me sometimes, you would be surprised at the things that people say to me Hmm. When, when I am in a room because they don't know I'm married to your father and they don't know you're my daughter. People say and it's a very well, painful, even when they know because yeah. they and think you don't understand and, what you're yeah, saying. And, and that's been always a very painful thing that I've dealt with, this anti-blackness in the Latino community, and it has to stop. But It has but, to stop. Sonny, I want to tell you, with this. there's been a lot of work. First, it, it exists, right? So, I yes, mean, it does. minorities can be racist against each other, too. Yes. 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 And what often but it's a reminder that if you want to be allies in being anti-racist across the board, even if you're hearing something that's offensive, you have an obligation to call it out. This, it's kind of seemed like someone was sitting there sort of passively and, well, he may have not said it. You have an obligation to say that is wrong. Here is why it's wrong if you don't understand. Grow why, some cojones. But I also want to say it is hard to, to, to speak up when you see something's going wrong. Yes, but We try. all do it a lot, and we get so much backlash, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's worth every time you call someone out, it is worth it because it's a teacher. Let's go now to the outcry in Florida over a state medical form asking teenage athletes to report their menstrual histories. The optional questionnaire long used by the state's high school athletic association to keep a check on female students' health is going online, and that has some physicians and parents worried. A third-party company collecting and storing the data puts students at risk, especially in a state with a 15-week abortion ban. The Palm Beach County School District has asked the State Athletic Association to remove the optional five questions about menstruation altogether. My next guest has a broader solution. California Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs has introduced a bill to protect personal reproductive health data. And I welcome you now to the broadcast, Congresswoman. I'm glad you're here. I'm curious your privacy concerns about stored information on menstruation. I mean, some of it would be obvious, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it. And how would your My Body, My Data Act address them, particularly in the case of Florida teenagers? Yeah, well, uh, thank you for having me. And I think it's completely invasive to be having these high school students have to provide this information to their high school sports coaches uh, to be able to play. It's one thing to talk about this with your doctor, but as soon as you're storing it online, as soon as you're uh, passing it to anyone besides your doctor, uh, then the risks get even higher. And I'm especially concerned in a state like Florida with a 15-week abortion ban that this data can be used uh, to track who should be getting their period but isn't, who who might be pregnant, but you know, isn't who needs an abortion uh, and could be weaponized and used against these young girls who are just trying to play a uh, high school sport. So what my bill does is it creates a national standard where any company that has any access to this data, whether it's a period tracking app, this kind of app, a uh, website search, anything like that, uh, that they can only collect and retain what is strictly necessary to provide their service. They cannot sell it. They can only share it with your express written consent and you 
you can ask for it to be deleted at any time. I would ask people to read the policies. And to, I did you know, read the policy, well, but it sounds like you're excluding parents that might be supportive of their child uh, going to the bathroom or, going, or joining a sports team that is uh, in alignment with their gender identity. Well, so, so certainly not. If parents actually want their child to be able to change a pronoun or their name or use a bathroom, if parents choose that, then legally that's what the schools will do. With regards to sports teams, this is a different issue. And, and I do believe that it's unfair for girls to have biological boys play sports with biological girls. There are sports with, with, segregated, with segregated sexes uh, for those sports, and those sports should be honored that way. And there are sports where they're not segregated, where in fact both, both, both sexes get to play at the same time. Again, there's a common sense approach here to this, and I do think we have to respect girls as well here. Our policies were written in order to, in order to respect the dignity of all children, their safety, and their confidentiality. We're in a 30-day comment period, and then we're going to finalize these, and then I expect this. I still think candidate quality has to matter in a Senate race, <laughs> but maybe it's possible people just are so locked into their issues and want to beat the other side that it really won't hurt them. Jonathan, we've heard Mitch McConnell talk about candidate quality issues, right? right? And yet Republican leadership is standing firmly by Herschel Walker. What does that tell you? It says a lot about the Republican Party right now. Um, to your point, David, I think it was Dana Loesch this week, really just put, the, put her finger on what is happening with Herschel Walker and Georgia. And she said, basically, I'm paraphrasing, who cares about the children? Who cares about the abortion? All I want is the Senate seat for the majority. That is what this is all about. Candidate quality, yes, it should matter. But the Republican Party has made it clear. Senator Rick Scott, who is the head of the Senate Campaign Committee, by recruiting these folks, has made it clear candidate equality doesn't matter. It's about putting people in position to win. Um, the fact that the polls are close in Georgia, um, I think, says a lot about the party, says a lot about Georgia, and says a lot about where we are as a country. There is no way. I am old enough to remember when a candidate like Herschel Walker wouldn't even get anywhere close to running in the primary. And now he's, he's maybe 30 days away from being elected to the United States Senate from Georgia, given everything that we know about it, we, we know in the reporting. So this was going around the internet and it hits close home to me because my son went through this. He was attacked by three black youth he was beaten mercilessly because it's three on one and he got suspended anyway. But if you troll Twitter, you're going to see this a lot. Black females beating white girls. Where's your friend? Where's your friend? Where's your friend? Where's your friend? Where's your friend?
but you know they're suppressed and shit they're they're all suppressed and then we gotta have our trans stuff so here's some students and even madonna getting in on the lgbtqia plus eieio limelight hey blue look at all these families hi families it's time for a pride parade families marching one by one hurrah hurrah families marching one by one hurrah this family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly And they all go marching in the big parade Having abortion banned means that we're basically getting our choices of our bodies taken away And as a woman, that like speaks volume because now I have to be more careful when I have sex Or like, it's like standing up for women who get raped or like um, incest and like it's just such a big deal that they're taking this away um, and it's like we're going backwards. So way. taking away the right to abortion basically makes you have to think a lot harder about who you have sex with. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. Angry. I feel really angry. Feel he is just too divisive and will fracture the UF community here. That's how can the senator uh, fully support our faculty, staff, students and alumni who are in same-sex relationships and marriages given his prior comments against those relationships. I think that he lacks the experience to lead a university as big and prestigious as the University of Florida. Um, you know, not a high character individual, you know, his views are very uh, right wing, really far right, really kind of an alt right guy. The minority students, leftist students, um, are very opposed to this and think it might be a danger for our university. We are here not just to protest the oppressive views of U.S. sole presidential finalists, but to demand more from our top five universities. Ben Fass is on the record anti-gay marriage, anti-transgender people, and anti-abortion. He poses a threat to all um, students that may be queer or non-men. He has um, celebrated the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Well, I'm concerned about his past comments on climate change. Me, I'm from Wyoming, which is like right next to Nebraska. Similar cultural environments. For me, it was a huge cultural shock coming to Florida. I bet for him it's going to be, you know, pretty shocking as well. <laughs> he poses a threat to taking away our essential health care and to taking away our essential rights and being discriminatory on campus. He continues to divide people and not unite. How diverse the state is politically and just, um, you know, population-wise, um, it doesn't really reflect, you know, Nebraska is a mostly white state. This state has a huge population of Latino, Black, Asian population, so. I'm concerned that he's a politician and he was the president of a private um, religious affiliated school and we are a very diverse public institution across the country and I'm concerned that he doesn't represent the majority of the students and their beliefs. I'm worried that um, it might be even harder for students at UF to get an abortion. Say it loud, say it clear!
percent of the offshore interrogators are white men. Are you talking about like torture? Yeah. Were you discouraged from being an advanced interrogator because of your gender? Do you find? It's yeah. not something that personally would appeal to me. I'm not attracted to like human rights violations. But no. is that possible that that's your social programming that society's been telling women that they should stay away from jobs like that because it's not for them? No. Ever come across a woman that personally feels oppressed because they have not had the option to be an advanced interrogator? Well, that's their internal programming. They don't like realize it. A lot of times women just or is it your internal programming to think that everything has to be equal? Do you not think that things should be equal? No. Those students are protesting because Ben Sass is going to be an instructor. And he had an R at one time. NEA pushing new uh, freaking pronouns. Using correct pronouns makes transgender and gender diverse students feel welcome, safe, and respected. Plus, it can help reduce suicide rates because embracing pronouns doesn't come easy to everyone. We put together some helpful advice. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we should help the kids that you did get your fucking slimy little hands on like this poor person because I don't even know what it was because it's been massacred. Hey y'all, um, so I got out of my haircut because um, my hair was driving me nuts and I shaved it because I'm tired of watching my hair thin out and it's less distressing if I shave it. So when I talk about being too far gone, not, I don't really know what else to call it. Um, this is what I mean. This is how deep my voice is. Um, <clears throat> it's gotten deeper over time, and it's settled. Um, this is what I mean by hair loss, um, and it just keeps getting worse. It keeps thinning. It keeps receding backwards. Um, you know, and I'm not exactly sure that's coming back. Um, those are the main things when I talk about being androgenized um, to a point of no return. Um, I really don't see those being fixable. So that's when I talk about, you know, just kind of staying how I am, regardless of how I feel. Um, that's why, just because I, I don't really see me personally being able to come back from what's happened so far. So I hope that's a little explanatory, um, just to kind of give a little bit more of a, um, like, kind of the, let me reword that, just to kind of, you know, talk about like give more awareness to the situation um kind of so you can see where i'm at words are not working well with me right now i'm just gonna cut this off there you go you know this this is what happens when you give a woman testosterone this for five years this is what happens essentially so you know that's it stay safe a lot of this going on, that's a representative. She deleted it. Being a mom's hardest job I'll ever have. No one should be forced to be a parent. Forced to be a parent. Because you spread your legs. Yeah. But this this is unfortunately what we deal with. Look, look at these staggering stats. This is a Fairfax, Virginia. The epicenter of wokeness. And you can see how little they really talked about anything that was for the benefit of the kids. And then we get stories like this. That's not it. Student passes three classes in four years, ranks near top half with a .13 GPA. Because teaching these kids isn't as important anymore. It is literally brainwashing to be a good Democrat. A couple of off-the-wall stories. I used to love space um, stories. We used to cover them on the show. We just did Armageddon, folks, and it worked. 
they moved an asteroid by crashing something into it 32 minutes, which is enough to make it miss the planet. That's fucking kick-ass. We wouldn't need the drillers. I ran across this. This is for Matt. This is pretty fucking cool. There's a company that got the rights to build Fords, and they're building modern Mustangs. The years are 65, 66, 67, 68. You can get the fastback, convertible, coupe. And they build it from scratch for $225,000, but it has a modern fuel injection engine, Bluetooth. It looks all new, airbags. It has all your technology, backup camera. But the interior is the original stick shift everything. And now they sell parts because they got the rights to build it. So they're building parts and selling it to people that were really hard to find. You have to go to junkyards. My son remembers that. We used to junkyard a lot just to get little pieces for my 67 Chevy. But I thought that was fucking badass. If I had the money, I would definitely buy it. So the Army Blackhawk replacement. We talked about it last time. Not like you're waiting with bated breath. I looked it up, and uh, yeah, they've paused the selection. So I don't know if it's going to be the 280 or the Raider. And they haven't decided what they're going to do for all the rest of the helicopters. So they're kind of on pause. So there's that. Let's do a lighter fare. I'm going to rummage for something because I actually don't have a soundbite. See you on the other side. Shut up. I just... Do you think... Do you think maybe we're kind of the bad guys? Oh, come on. Why would you say that? I am Provident Bo Beijing. Bow before me, fat... Did they really need to install a lightning machine? It lends an aura of strength and credibility. I am the king! And... You... Will fear me, Jack! Dude. Okay, he's a little unorthodox, but he's a reasonable man. This, this guy's Magaman, man. He lives under your bed. He steals your uterus and drags it back into the 1950s. Kill him on the spot, not a joke. This is stochastic terrorism. Oh, that's a bit hyperbolic, no. Only, only way to deal with Ultra Magaman, got it. You gotta show him who's boss. You gotta show him I'm losing my patience. Ah, come on, man. Help me, Jack. Come on. Now do you think there's a problem? I can't believe that Trump supporter set the president on fire. 
Do we step in? He's fine. this many new people. Shut it. <clears throat> Diversity is our strength. Where are you headed, traveler? My friend here has a spare room in his house. I'm going to Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard! Sound the alarm! with human trafficking, but it has to be done through the proper channels. They're not sending us their best. They're sending us their smelly. They're sending us their men. They're over the age of 18. And some of them, I assume, I could have relations with. Well, it's about time. Whoa! So we can't bury dead people? What about my dead dad? No, the law says you just can't bury them alive. This guy wants to ban burials! No, burials are fine. I just don't want people getting killed. Dude, if we left dead bodies out, people would get sick and die. Don't sit here and pretend that this is about saving lives! I'm not talking about dead bodies. Keep burials legal! They are! Good. It shouldn't be legal to vacuum a living baby up. Whoa! But that'll make it illegal to remove miscarriages! Women will never oh, such a thing! Don't you sit here and pretend that you want to save lives? Gotta love those freedom tunes. They sure are funny. So This Is America is not a soundbite this week. It's a website. Many websites. David Brock, who runs Media Matters, which is the yang to the yin of MRC, where they go out and twist uh, Republicans into being horrible people. They opened up fake news sites and they're running nothing but positive stories about Biden, the left and everything. And somehow that's OK. The people who have screamed and gnashed teeth about fake news and everything's Russian disinformation. Everything they don't agree with is Russian disinformation. And the media is fine with it. There's, there's no problem. We've had fake campaigns run to promote people they think that are bad and they can beat. We have big tech meddling. We have Biden directly meddling. And now Media Matters meddling in the election. It makes me think that their meddling in election shit is just bullshit. Because they meddle more than anybody else. If we go back to Russia, 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 Hillary paid for it. That part never came out. It was never the focal point of our media. She paid for it. She wanted it. 
So basically, it's all stops again. It's 2020 all over again. They are fortifying, which is another word for rigging an election. The media is part of it. And I will not be surprised, like I said, next month when we vote, there will be vote stoppages. There'll be, well, it's going to take days to find out because it's going to take them days to replicate enough fucking uh, ballots to win. That's what they're going to do. I mean, when you do an election and a fucking suitcase full of fucking ballots gets counted, we got problems. That's not normal. And if it is normal, why is it normal? Why do you have suitcases stashed and you bring them out at certain times? The whole thing is really squirrely, boys and girls, and it's not... It's like peeling an onion. The more we peel, the more we see maybe they fake every election. Maybe Obama didn't win. I mean, do we know he won? Because you can't go by popular vote. They're letting illegals vote now. So what the fuck? Which still makes it imperative we go vote. I I know it sounds like it's already rigged, and I know sometimes I'm wondering if my vote matters for shit, but I'm going to go vote. In a couple weeks, I shall walk out and go and vote. And it'll be straight R, which I never do. But we got to get these asshats out of control of the government right now. They are so twisted. This... Manch, this fucking Trojan horse president with the far left agenda shoved up his ass like he's a sock puppet. Yeah, that's not good. Economy sucks, gas prices suck, and all you ever get is climate change, you're a racist, and we need to make sure 90-year-old trannies get their rights when nobody's stopping them from getting their rights. Once again, we don't walk into Walmart and take a survey. Are you really a chick? Nobody does that. Nobody cares. What they care about is that you're making kids to trannies. That's probably bad. And they do care about guys fucking bending over and showing their taint to little kids at supposed family-friendly events, which you saw again today. That was literally in Waco, Texas. And I think if anybody is for this stuff, that video I played today of that dude, girl, whatever, man... They're fucking these kids up. They have a mental fucking illness. They need fucking help. They don't need operations. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. I almost forgot. That was a new Abrams tank, too. I didn't buffer that. Please share this with your family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com where you'll find this video and all the videos. Let me get to my fucking slides since I'm all fucked up. Boom. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. We're going to go for a Saturday show. That will be the 15th of October, year of our Lord, 2022. Until then, thank you for listening, my friends, and you take care.